0: I'm Robert Pearson. This is Follow the Leader. And I figured today I would talk to you about my book that I wrote. It's called The Blue Collar Blind Spot. I've mentioned it a couple of times, but haven't really, like, specifically outlined what it's about and why and why I wrote it. So I thought I would do that while I'm driving a place. Whee! So, there we go. The uh, the book is called The Blue Collar Blind Spot. Um, I felt called to like write or do something, and I I fumbled around trying to do stuff, internet things. I don't understand things. I can't write for beans for like a blog or something. It takes me forever to write anything. Case in point, this book has taken like three or four years at four hours a week. And, uh, it's not even 100 pages. It's 100 pages if you count the blank page in the back. Um, but uh, it's very thorough. It's probably the only book that's about 90 pages long with four appendices in it. That's just how I roll. So, I couldn't figure out what I'm supposed to write about, started doing like dad advice or something, I don't, it's, it's an area that I feel relatively competent to share my experience and biblical knowledge in, and uh, all of a sudden one day I'm getting out of the car, headed to the house, and a thought strikes me like a lightning bolt that Jesus got to choose who his dad was. Which meant that Jesus got to choose the job that he was going to do, because in uh, in ancient Hebrew culture, it was a uh, you were you were taught a trade. It was just a matter of fact. Even uh, the very elite were taught a trade. Uh, there's a cool line out of the Mishnah: "He who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to steal." Uh, you were you were taught. Uh, job that you would be doing. Even if you were some, like, elite higher-up status, you'd still have some kind of practical trade skill that you would have learned. Um, case in point, Paul's a, a tent maker, even though he's, you know, a rabbi, taught by rabbis uh, from, uh, you know, prestigious family line. Uh, he was still knew how to make tents. So, um... This all kind of hits me in a flash. Now, I know, yes, there's prophesied. He would be of the line of of David, of the tribe of Judah. The family trees are only kind of like forked at the top for aesthetics to be a tree. They're actually forked out as you go down through time. So, God could have had any number of descendants of the tribe of Judah, of Daniel, or of David, sorry, of David, uh, that would be literally any occupation. He probably even could have had Levites um, and scribes and stuff that were also of David's lineage, you know, by marrying into families and stuff. Uh, I don't know. But he, he could have been any any possible occupation. And he chose carpenter. He chose to be a blue collar. And the more I started thinking about that, uh, the more I realized that... Uh, Like it, it started to be a a starker contrast how poorly our general society thinks about manual labor and the uh, you know skilled labor, uh, the tradesmen and stuff. There's still a lower uh, lower status given. We're digging a hole. At at one point, um, we're, we're fixing one of the feeds to the parking lot lights, so the parking lot can have light right? that's the electricity has to come from somewhere. And what you do is before they lay the asphalt for the parking lot, when everything's just a big hole, you run plastic pipes in the dirt. And at the very end of that plastic pipe, it bends whoop, straight up. And then uh, they, they put a mold in the dirt and those pipes go straight up and they pour concrete in the mold. And so now your, uh, your plastic pipes that go straight up through that concrete now get bolts put in it, and that's the light base. That's where your light poles, that's how they get power. Uh, you'll see on the new, when it's newer electricity on older poles, you'll see a pipe that comes up out of the ground and goes on the side. And that's what that's doing. But when it's new construction, uh, you run your pipes in and then they pour concrete around it. And then your wires, you pull wires afterwards into the, uh, into the pipe and you, you tie it in and the wires go up inside the, uh, the shaft of the light pole. That's how the electricity gets there. So, one of the bulldozers had nicked our line or something or done something with it and didn't put it back right. So, we couldn't get the fish tape, which is the little metal uh, thing we used to pull the wires in. We couldn't get it to actually reach where it was supposed to reach. So, we uh, we've got to, We got had to dig a big hole and we're trying to dig underneath the, the parking lot because everything's pulled in now um, and, and finished to, to get to where the brake was because it was right at the end. Uh, so, it, we... All that to say we're in a big hole. It's like four foot wide. There's three of us out there. and We're taking turns at the bottom of this hole, um, digging out, bringing up like buckets of dirt and stuff. As, uh, you know, school is back in session. So you got the school people, uh, kids, people dropping off their kids in the morning because we start early. Uh, so we, we're in the middle of working as people are showing up to drop their kids off. And uh, there's just this amazing amount of scorn. Like we're in a a higher income area too. So there's just this palpable scorn of uh, having to work for a living. And they're like, don't look at them, Jimmy, or you'll become one of them. (laughs) Um, All of it was unspoken. You could just see it in their eyes. And then you look at the little kid and his eyes are just wide because the little kid's like, you can dig holes in the parking lot? where are they tunneling to? what's in the hole? Because kids are just, you know, wide-eyed wonder about everything. It's amazing. So, uh, it was just fascinating, though. You know, some parents would allow their kids to watch what we were doing, and we were cordial, we were smiling, we weren't, you know, standoffish or anything. you just, you know, hey, good morning, how's it going? Um, nobody asked what we were doing, which was funny. Uh, I love knowing how things work, which is one of the reasons I'm an electrician. Um, but it, it always just made me chuckle that Nobody seemed to care or know what was going on. And they're like, yeah, they're just men digging a hole, I guess. This is normal. Walk past. We've got orange cones out and caution tape up and stuff. We're being safe. Um, so they, uh, you know, it's just there was a, a general lack of it. And as we were talking about this after the parents had gone with the other guys, and um, one of the guys who had worked with me uh for a little bit or he was a guy i had just met having worked at this company he said uh working for a different company farther uh, back this uh this kid came running out of the school he's at like a high school or something fixing a light and uh this kid came running out of the high school she was throwing some big tantrum the teachers are trying to restrain her or whatnot and uh at one point, one of the teachers... theres like a, a shouting match going on. One of the teachers points at him. True story. Points at him as he's up there, like on a, on a ladder working, or he was he was on the ground trying to wire something up. I forget. Uh, and uh, they pointed him and say, "If you don't do good in school, you'll wind up like him. Do you want to be like?" Him? <laughs> and he's just like he's over there standing, like, "Dude, do you want electricity here or not?" Um, and it's it's just that's the general scheme of things you know you you'll commonly hear even pastors uh well-meaning pastors say things like go to college and get a good job uh are are the only good jobs on the other side of college uh because i i'd like you to ask a uh a lawyer whose toilet is overflowing and won't stop in his upstairs bathroom right above his uh (laughs) his office where he has all his important papers uh, ask him how important it is to have a good plumber on hand. A- ask him if he thinks being a, a quality plumber is a good job then. It's, it's funny how old this problem is, too. There's a, I'll, Last sidetrack, then I'll get back around right to the point. Um, in my research digging, there's a, a reference where uh, a Stoic philosopher is talking with somebody else. A lot of the Stoic philosophy is written down in dialogue. I forget which guy it was. It was uh, Aristides or, or Epictetus or somebody. Uh, but they're talking about the esteem that uh, Tectones, that carpenters have. And uh, he says, yeah, nobody likes these guys. Everybody looks down on him." And then suddenly there's a war. There's an army shows up to town and suddenly everybody loves these guys because you know what they do? They're the ones that build walls. And you need walls to keep armies out. And you need... You need guys who can rebuild the buildings that get knocked over and burned down after the army comes through. Suddenly everybody loves those guys, and a good one is hard to find. And then as soon as the city's safe again, they go right back to saying, ah, who needs them? You want to work with your hands your whole life? It's hilarious to, uh, to know how old that, <laughs> that problem is. Um, you know, Suddenly the, the power goes out on a, in a neighborhood, and everybody's like, oh, what happened? I don't know. Uh, what happened is something broke, and a real man is going to have to go up onto a power pole at night in the cold, in the darkness, and fix whatever broke for you so you can sit at home in your warm comfort with Wi-Fi. You're welcome. I'm not an outside lineman, by the way. Those guys are, those guys are too cool for me. I'm not, I'm not hard enough to do that. But uh, there are men that do, and they're awesome. They keep everything running. So, uh, so I, I, the more I thought about this, the more I really started to notice how often. I listen to uh, Christian radio a lot, like all the time. I'm always listening to a radio sermon or something. And uh, I grew up in church. I have a lifetime of listening to sermons. I have five years of Bible college. No degree, but it was a fun time. I learned a lot. Uh, I would do, definitely do it again. The... The thing I started to notice every single time a list of careers when they're from Sunday to Monday. And it's almost always an office or a cubicle or a water cooler or, uh, you know, tomorrow at work at the office or when you're at your desk. And I started to really pay attention and think about people at church. Yeah, they, like, never mention factories or construction sites or work trucks. Um, I started to really focus, and so I I was already on the trail of, like, it's really cool that God chose to be blue-collar. And I started noticing how hard it was to find resources about that or anybody talking about that or mentioning it or mentioning the importance of uh, being a Christian at work or what you do, and all the applications are, like, leadership and management and not like how to be a foreman or how to work on a job site. I'm having to, I'm, I'm having to make the application myself. And so I, I, it, it feels like a blind spot. It's a huge communicational blind spot. That uh, there's this task. I know if you if you ask any pastor about the importance of different occupations, immediately he's going to be like, "Well, everything's you know the same before the Lord." Even pastor. We're all called to do what we're doing. But you don't ever hear that message from the pulpit. And the accidental communication is that white-collar jobs are the ones that matter. They get way more references. Um, But I can't find data points about it. So I had to make my own data points, which is one of the reasons it took so long to write. Uh, One of the things I did was I did a survey of all Christian books from top 100 bestseller lists. So I've got, um, I've got books. I took eight top one hundred lists, and there was a lot of overlap uh, between those eight top one hundred lists. So going through effectively eight hundred book listings, I have three hundred and seventy nine distinct books that I looked at, and uh, I picked kind of like I don't I don't know I'm making my own data points, right? I'm an electrician, but. I can't find somebody else who's already parsed these numbers for me to just use. I can't find a database of. I um, should I can't find a database of sermons, like a searchable database, so I can look at sermon illustrations. Or I, I just couldn't find anything. Um, so this is the best I could figure out doing. I took five white-collar words um, that typically describe workplaces. And I took five blue-collar esque words, and then I just uh, used the search inside feature. That was the other thing that eliminated uh, uh, a few other books, is not all of them let you search the contents inside. And I just did word searches on, um, you know, office versus factory, um, desk versus truck, uh, staff versus crew. Right, blue-collar. You talk about your crew. And your team, uh, White Collar, you talk about your staff. They'll use team sometimes, too, for, like, real estate uh, and sales and stuff. We'll use uh, team to refer to their, uh, their peeps. So, um, whee! Anyway, the, um, but the way it all parsed out, the White Collar references, uh, I don't remember all five of each word off the top of my head, but that's that was the, what I was going for, was something that would compare and contrast. You know, office, conference, staff, um, versus truck, job site, factory, construction. And, uh, yeah, it's five to one. There will be five white-collar references for every one blue-collar reference. Uh, And then, while I was doing that, I also looked at the occupations of... or the, the occupational history of the different authors... And uh, it was sixteen to one, uh, white collar slash um, uh, working uh, career career pastor um, versus uh, blue collar anything. And now you got to understand to count as blue collar, uh, military service, uh, law enforcement, corrections, uh, first first responders. Uh, are, are very blue collar they, they have the same thought wavelength a lot of this is unfortunately anecdotal I tried to make it my definitions as concrete as I could but um, some of it's uh, anecdotal unfortunately because uh, I'm, I'm doing the best I can man uh, so the way it, the way it all panned out yeah it's 16 to 1 and it was literally any blue collar and a lot of that 16 to one, a lot of that one out of the 300 and some odd authors, it was still 16 to one, uh, white collar versus blue collar. Um, the two career, the, the three career paths that kind of crystallized were white collar career path into full time ministry, full time ministry, you know, right out of uh, some kind of seminary prep, and then other. And so you got, like, Francis Chan, who worked at Taco Bell for a summer. Uh, C.S. Lewis was in the military, so that is some of that. Uh, I let Joyce Myers count. uh, Even though, like, her testimony, it sounds like she works retail. I couldn't figure it out, though. Um, So I I let it count uh, to err on the side of my bias, thinking that, like, well, nobody's blue collar, you're all a bunch of elites writing books, trying to tell me how to live, you know, I wanted to make sure that wasn't my frame of mind, so I, anytime I was in the gray area, I erred towards um, not supporting the point that I I believe to be true. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's, it wound up being 16 to 1, but zero construction background, zero industrial background, sorry, not zero, the There's some industrial backers There's like one author out of 300 and some odd books I think there were about 300 370 odd books And there were about 328 Just over 300 individual authors Um, You know Because Joyce Myers has a lot of books uh, I think there were more than one Joel Olstein book A couple of C.S. Lewis books Tony Evans has written a lot of books Um, And so I had a lot of uh, Single author multiple books So once again The numbers are even smaller Uh, out of that pool and uh, man it took me a year to chew (laughs) Um, but it was uh, was, I forget the name of the author it was a lady she does the book Girl Fix Your Face and like four or five others she's a prolific author and like a mom blogger or something and uh, I had never heard of her before doing the search but I've seen her books on like tables at friends houses and stuff so it's um, she's fairly prevalent I mean, she was on like two or three different top 100 lists for because uh, you know Amazon has thousands of top 100 lists now in nuanced categories. But um, the uh, she had worked in a factory as a summer job in her uh, background story testimony. Uh, but that was it man no full-time construction that I could find uh, no other, uh, jobs. It was, and even when it was a military career, it was almost always officer, which is white collar. Um, I count, I counted it as blue collar. Once again, trying to air um, against whatever bias I, I figured I would have. Um, but they, uh, they understand blue collar and they know how to communicate to it. That's literally their whole job as an officer is to manage a bunch of blue-collar-minded uh, guys who are prone to violence and get them together, working together, and moving in the same direction and being constructive. Uh, so that's... That was fascinating. And it was always like... A, or it would be like a Navy SEAL who became a congressman who then started writing Christian books. I didn't know how to categorize like NFL coaches because there was one or two of those that, that were started you know, writing Christian books. Um, and I was like, "Well, they, they went, they came out of college, effectively, uh, played sports, and then so ah, uh, I didn't know. I just didn't count those as either. I think. Um, but yeah, it's it was sixteen to one, man, and not a single construction worker, which I I fully expected it to skew white collar, and like all of the white collar, uh, into clergy jobs were, lawyers. Once again, makes total sense, right? They have career training in making a compelling argument, writing clearly, and discerning written text into actionable, like, information. Like, that's literally their whole job as lawyers, to interpret laws into actual information and make a compelling case how their, um, you know, how the client or whatever did or didn't break those laws, and then communicate that verbally. Like, it perfect skill set for a pastor right uh, for a preacher rather perfect skill set for a preacher makes makes total sense that they dominate the market in that and it's about it's slightly more than 50-50 I forget if I have ex- I forget the exact numbers but it's almost 50-50 it's, it's, it was like 55-45 60-40 skewed in favor of white collar to, to pastor rather than uh, or full time ministry rather than um, from college to full time ministry which is the other majority. Because once again, you're trained specifically for it. But I thought it would be more than zero. Um, oh, one of the other blue-collar guys is somebody that like I've never heard of outside of having done this search. It is uh, Praying Medic is what he goes by. He has a ton of books on there. And he's uh, he was an emergency first responder. He's an EMT. And uh, we have like a, a prayer ministry of healing and stuff. Which is pretty cool. Right at the back of a... Of a, uh, but of uh, his ambulance. And he just writes full time now and does other stuff. But yeah, that was a thing. Uh, But there, you don't hear about him. He's never been on focus on the family or anything. And so that's basically my point, though, is that it started uh, trying to figure out how to articulate the lack and this dearth of communication uh, that I felt towards. Uh, blue-collar peeps, and it, the best way I could figure to articulate it is like an unreached people group, which is Christianese in, like, missionary land for uh, a culture or subculture that isn't being directly communicated the gospel in their native language, and, uh, you know, and you're, you're raising up indigenous teachers and leaders in that community, like, that's uh, that's the. It was just the perfect phrasing because you know I, I looked at the language all these uh, mainstream evangelical authors are using, and it it doesn't communicate to blue collar. So you're not speaking their language. Um, there are references that are just boneheaded in light of blue collar culture. When you complain about getting up at 7 in the morning because it's too early, I I can't respect you. Uh, I mean, it's an overstatement, but it's kind of true. I get up at 3 in the morning most days. That's that's so I can have time to, to do uh, any kind of devotion or any kind of prayer or exercise or whatever. And then I've got to be at work by 5 o'clock in the morning most days. That's uh that's a lot, man. And then to have a, a pastor or some compelling speaker sit there on the stage and wanna cry about how he had to get up at three in the morning to work at Planet Fitness, and you're like, Really, dude? I I do that every day. You did that for like six months to be a church planner, and now you sit around in a soft office all the time. Boo hoo. I get up at 3.30, by 5.30, I'm on top of an 8-foot ladder holding a 10-pound, 60-amp disconnect, making action happen. So your air air conditioner units can run inside of an office space. You're welcome, everyone. Um, It's just completely oblivious to other people and how they happen to live differently. Um, so their their culture is being ignored. You're not speaking their language. It fits, right? The the unreached people group thing kind of fits. Um, what I doing? Oh yeah, the battery is dying. I don't want to make sure it doesn't die on me. Um, so that's that's the uh, the direction I went and wrote and kind of fleshed it out to be a whole book, and then put my original data points. Because I mean, I don't I don't trust people. I get it. And I put my original data points so you guys know I'm not spoofing anything um, and I in the, uh, in the back of the book in appendices. and the, uh, the other thing that grated on me that I, I also included in the in the book, as I was researching Jesus being a carpenter, uh, it, it's important that he was a carpenter, and carpenters work with wood. Uh, to make things. And that's what the word tectone means as a default because of the way language works, right? If you use a word all the time without any clarification and everybody kind of already knows what it means, even though that word has other meanings, there's no ambiguity about it, right? If think about the word study, um, the way I use the word uh, study depends on, or what the word study means really depends on who I am. You know, if you're saying, I'm going to go to the study, if you're a college student, it means you're going to go do homework for two hours. Uh, If you're a scientist, it means that you're going to go ask people a bunch of questions or perform, you know, a series of of double-blind experiments on groups of people. Um, Or look at a bunch of different experiments and correlate the results together, or if you're like a rich guy, then study is a room in your house. Uh, You know, but when someone says that, you don't go, whoa, slow down, that word could mean anything. I don't know what you're saying. No, the immediate context, who said it and who they're talking to makes the meaning obvious. So in the same way, like the, the word Smith means Uh, it could be any kind of general craftsman, but as a default, we all understand it means a blacksmith, someone who works with iron, they use an anvil, they, they heat up the iron, they beat it with a hammer while holding it with tongs and they make things. Uh, but you have coppersmiths, silversmiths, you could be a wordsmith, um, anything, right? So if you, or it could just be a last name. But when someone uses that word in a sentence, you don't say, whoa, slow down, that could mean anything. Like, what kind of metal does he work with? Is it even metal? Is he an author? You said he was a smith. Uh, No, it's obvious in the way the sentence is phrased or by context or you just know the default. Oh, he's a smith. Oh, yeah, he makes like horseshoes and stuff. Yeah, and like knives too sometimes. Oh, okay. It's, It's obvious because of the way the word is used. Most of the time, it's going to assume it's a blacksmith. And so the more I looked into the word tectone that's used for Jesus, uh, the more it's just undeniably means carpenter. Nine times out of ten, it's just a guy that works with wood. He uses an axe. Sometimes he does a metal overlay. Uh, But what's fascinating is that uh, it's important that that was Jesus' job because... Uh, there's, a, there's a real significance to it. Um, Tectone gets used right at the end of the Old Testament for people that make idols. They're the career that, brought, uh, that helped to bring Israel astray. They were idol makers because you would carve the idol out of wood and then you'd plate it with gold, which is the exact way that the Ark of the Covenant was made. Talk about disrespectful. The Ark of the Covenant is wood overlaid with precious metals, nailed in place so it's a wood box for first and foremost that's coated in gold same way the uh the idol maker in uh i think jeremiah and it's it's isaiah and it's uh jeremiah or ezekiel i think it's isaiah, uh, jeremiah uh talking about the idol maker you know the the craftsman fells the tree with the axe and draws his line and does these things and builds an idol um and it's talking about how ridiculous idols are but the whole time it says tectone and he's using wood to make idols in the same way that the Ark of the Covenant was made. It's horribly disrespectful to God in just the most visceral way. So then, not only would God choose to be blue-collar, you know, taking on the form of a servant, but he chose to be a tectone. He chose to be the craft that had led Israel astray and spends 20 years fixing it. Um, He spends 20 years redeeming that trade because he's you know about 10 or 11 he starts learning the trade and at about 30 um he goes to start his ministry he was about 30 we know from luke luke says it and so at about 30 that puts him as a carpenter learning the trade of carpentry for 20 years in that time, we know he had at least you know two or three other brothers. He's got James and Jude, at least, right? Um, who would have taught them or helped teach them carpentry? Jesus again. So he's teaching people how to how to um, how to work carpentry. He's doing it himself for twenty years. God delayed the salvation of mankind for twenty years so Jesus could work to provide for his family with his hands, in a blue-collar trade. That's powerful. Uh, and it doesn't get talked about often enough. And that's that, the, the importance of it redeeming the craft of idol-maker also is why it's critical, because that's, that's the word used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, that was the other part of what took so long, is I went and parsed all of these entries by hand uh, to make sure I wasn't seeing things that aren't there. I, I went to every single place it got used in the Septuagint, every place it got used in Josephus, both Wars of the Jews and... Oh, what was the other one he wrote? Um, History of the Jews. That's right, histories and wars. And, uh, and then every reference that is used in... Um, I, I, I dug references out of contemporary sources. So I, I was, I'm limited to free resources, right? So I'm on Perseus Project online, which is a, a ton of Greek resources for free, indexed and fully searchable. It's amazing. And I, uh, I looked through that word usage. And so I, I, everywhere that Tectone was used in a Greek source that was within about 200 years of the New Testament uh, because language doesn't change that fast back then. I mean, read King James, right? Aside from the font, uh, we use a modern font even on the old King James. Uh, Because the old King James, like the F's and S's look identical. Um, But in the King James, that's 400-year-old English, 1611, okay? That English, as you read the King James, is 400 years old. And you can still understand most of it. The meanings of the words haven't changed that much. Uh, There's a couple words that don't really fundamentally mean the same, but you still, it's not hard to figure out what they're talking about. 400-year-old English, right? Um, so to err on the safe side, I'm thinking within a couple hundred years of either side of the New Testament, the use of tecton can't have changed that much. And so I went through. If I was cooler, I would have broken it down by region too, to find like regionally. But these are Jews that learned Greek, so the Septuagint is going to affect the vocabulary choice pretty heavily. And the Greek language in general at that time, Let's let's look at what they have. And, yeah, 9 out of 10 references of a guy who works with wood. And you have all kinds of people running around assuming it's uh, (coughs) a stonemason. And the only support for that... The only support for him being a stonemason was, well, he uses some illustrations of stones. Yeah, he uses farming illustrations, too. He uses illustrations of kings. He wasn't any of those that we know of. Um, so, you know, maybe you're wrong. Uh, also, oh, well, the city of Zipporah was really close and mostly made of stone. That's still, that's like saying there are no electricians in a mining town. That's a stupid statement. Oh, well, it's a mining town. So naturally everybody works there works in the mine. Uh, no, do, do they not have a Denny's? Come on now. You're smarter than that. Uh, but that's the full argument. That's the full argument for why Jesus was a stonemason, and it's nonsense. But you'll see it everywhere. It's like, the, well, actually, he wasn't a carpenter. He may have been, because the word tectone doesn't mean... This is why I started with how words are used, because that, that betrays a lexicon understanding. If you go to a lexicon, it tells you all the things a word might mean, um, when you're looking at Greek words and Greek lexicons. I'm not entirely sure the difference between lexicon and dictionary. I think they're synonyms. But all the Greek stuff is called a lexicon and all the English stuff is called dictionary. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you look at the lexicon and it goes, oh, tectone, it could mean this, it could mean this, it could mean this, it could mean this. Right. Those definitions are always ordered by most likely. Not, it could mean all of them all the time. <clears throat> but if you don't know Greek and you don't think about what you're saying, uh, you pick the one on the list that sounds compelling to you and supports your argument. And then you fabricate a bunch of nonsense around it, and you call that a unique thesis or a, a unique blog post. And everybody repeats the same book. If you look up all of the blog articles that mention this, they all have the same footnote to the same page of the same book that only has one footnote to a self-published, uh, inform a self-published like pamphlet from some random guy who does a lot of work in the in the Holy Land. Uh, that's it. It's not to like a university or some like grand scholar. It's like a random dude who does a bunch of Holy Land stuff. And he just puts it out as like, Hey, look, this is an interesting thing. And somebody cites that in their book and everybody cites that one page from that one book is like a, well, actually, this is why you have to follow the footnotes because there's a lot of ephemeral nonsense floating around. Um, but yeah, so I, I started doing that and every other option was insane. Um, There's another one, I don't know if I I took the time to fit this into the book, uh, but Nagar is the Aramaic word for carpenter. Well, it happens to be used in an entry in the Talmud where it talks about the skill of a rabbi is like the skill of a Nagar, a carpenter. Uh, Which is, of course, Epictetus is one of the Greek references I found, and he does the same thing with philosophers. He says philosophy is a skill carpentry is a skill look at that guy over there using an axe if he uses an axe badly you don't say oh look all carpenters are dumb what good is it to be a carpenter he doesn't know what he's doing he just cut his own hand off no you say that guy's not a carpenter and in the same way when you see a philosopher being an idiot acting a fool living an immoral life you don't say why would you say all philosophy is nonsense because that's that guy's not doing it right no you say that guy's not a philosopher. That's, that's the argument he's making. Philosophy is the same as a skilled trade and should be a, a consistent standard between. If someone's doing it wrong, you say, hey, that person is not a carpenter or not, you know. So it's in the same way. You know, a rabbi, the skill of a rabbi is like the skill of a carpenter. Boom, done. So they use that reference and then say, that's why Jesus is actually a rabbi. Because he's probably speaking Aramaic, and the Aramaic word for carpenter is used in the Talmud one time. To talk about the skill of a rabbi. So it was euphemistic for a rabbi. That's the whole argument. And it's also nonsense. Uh, because the oldest copies of the New Testament we have are Greek and Hebrew. Uh, not, not Hebrew, sorry. Greek. And uh, we got some Latin one translations uh, later on. Uh, it, that's not how the Greek word is used. That's not how the Greek word is used in the Old Testament either. Yes, the Hebrew word harash can be literally any kind of craftsman, but as you go through the Septuagint, um, all of the different usages are, they they get more specific. So early in the uh, Pentateuch, whoever was translating it, he did everything by the letter word for word. Harash is tectone. So harash of wood, harash of stone. Tectone of wood, tectone of stone. Word for word, all the way through. The farther you get into it, you, you either, either they were like, well, this is not as holy as the, the Pentateuch, as holy as the first five books, the law. As we get into the prophets and the histories, they use a wider vocabulary to explain things. And so either they're less cautious of misconstruing the meaning, and so they begin using uh, other words instead of doing a, a literal word-for-word translation, or the translator had more skill and a wider vocabulary. Um, or, you know, different translators had different methods and stuff. I don't, I don't know things. Uh, not, it's outside the scope of what we're doing. Specifically, though, they start using harash of stone as a specific Greek word that is a stone worker. Not tectone of stone. Um, as the vocabulary gets more elaborate, as you get later on, tectone is a guy that works with wood. And, uh, lithologon or something is, uh, a, a guy that works with, uh, stone. Uh, lithos is like three or four different words, specific Greek words that have to do with a guy who cuts the stones versus a guy who, sh- um, lays the stones and builds a wall. And, uh, there was one other option. Um, but yeah, they get, there are three different specific stone worker words used in the Septuagint. And, uh, tectone only gets used early, early on, um, interchangeably, once again, until uh, till you get farther on. And then it's... Harash is a specific Greek word for the guy that works with stone versus a harash of wood. So the Hebrew word has a broader use, and uh, the Greek word seems like it is more anchored to a guy that swings an axe, but you could also then use it for anything. Um, but you would just clarify in the in the text. It's, uh, in some of the Greek stuff, it's a guy who builds boats or a guy who builds furniture. Uh, Epictetus uses it for a guy that builds a house, even though a different guy, I think Elias or somebody, he uses it to talk about a guy who builds furniture, and the guy that builds the house is an oikodemeo. Um, no, no, wait, oikodemeo is a house slave. Oiko something. It was a, the Greek word for house and then laborer or worker. Oiko ergo or something. Uh, but it was, it was, once again, it was a different word. And this is also important because one of the arguments was that Jesus was a common day laborer. You know, he was these migrant laborers we see outside Seven Eleven all the time, and that's also not accurate. Uh, he was a specific skilled trade. He was not an unskilled laborer. Those are always referred to with the um, the, uh, the laborer. It's uh, Oiko, uh, I think it's Oiko de um, But it's, it's basically, yeah, it's a house builder. It's, the, the word translates to house worker, basically builder, right? Builder, building, right? Same, same root. And that's, once uh, again, that's the, uh, that's the way of it. Is it's very consistent. It's very clear. And you have all these different people trying to make bones about what Jesus did, and he did these things. And guys, he's been a carpenter the entire time. So then we finally get down to Justin Martyr, and everybody points at Justin Martyr, saying he just assumed he was a carpenter. He didn't know anything. We know better now, <sighs> guys. We are. 2,000 years away from the year zero Justin Martyr was born in the year 100 okay he was born four years after the book of Revelation is written and he grew up speaking Greek The people that he learned to become a Christian from, the the, the Christians that would have mentored him, are maybe one or two generations of teacher away from the original apostles, right? Um, It's in the same time frame you've got Irenaeus running around, who is uh, an apostle of Polycarp, who is an apostle of John, right? Uh, So we're still like one or two degrees of separation away from the original apostles, grew up speaking that language to ask his mom for cookies says carpenter means a guy that works with wood and builds furniture in his dad's shop I, it doesn't sound like he's making stuff up to me it sounds like he knows what the word means and so that's why in the New Testament when they say isn't this the tectone son is this not the tectone Matthew and Mark they use it once. No explanation. They just throw the word out there. Both of those authors take the time to explain things that are confusing. Matthew's constantly saying, "As it was written," and then he'll quote the Bible passage, the Old Testament prophecy that's being fulfilled by Jesus' action. He's explaining what's going on. Uh, at least one or two times, Mark takes the time to explain uh, a Jewish tradition for like a feast day or something. It'd be confusing because he's got a primarily Roman audience, best we can guess. Uh, they they take the time to explain things that are confusing so their audience is assumed to know what this word means without any modification or context and when we just look at how the words used in the Septuagint which would heavily influence their vocabulary choice as uh, Jews writing and speaking Greek and um, the contemporary sources as best I could dig up and even Josephus using the same word uh, a couple, 300 years later. Um, no, no, he's 70 AD. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, within within 100 years later. Uh, I'm forgetting my dates. But, uh, yeah, same, same usage. Nine times out of ten, it's a guy that works with wood. Uh, Josephus adds a nuance. They make tools. So tectons follow around the Roman army and they make tools. But also later on, they're making a wall. Um, during a siege, while arrows are being fired at them. I guarantee you, they're not using a hand chisel to carve stone as arrows are coming in. Right, they're slapping boards and planks up and supporting them to protect the uh, the, the 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 siege, right? Because the, the walls kept getting knocked down, so they would build up and increase the height of the wall, uh, and then fire arrows over the top of that. So, it's he was a carpenter, and so all of that comes together then of why is the church accidentally ignoring the exact demographic that Jesus went to uh, because that's also all the guys that Jesus pull in to be his crew, right? The apostles are illiterate, illiterate fishermen in, uh, you know, it says we see these are unlearned men, uh, in, uh, Acts chapter four ish, this is only in the middle of chapter four. It's talking about, uh, Peter and James, uh, James, the apostle, not James, the brother, Uh, who later becomes an apostle. And uh, they are specifically said to be unlearned. The word there is agrammatos, not lettered. They are illiterate. They cannot read or write. And they're fishermen. And they're the people Jesus chose to spread his gospel. And uh, all of a sudden, I started thinking about all the different examples that Jesus used. They're all blue-collar examples. He never says... You'd, so, you see, the kingdom of heaven is like filing a fourth quarter earnings report. No. Planting a seed. Building a house. Fishing. Um, he's, he's got a couple of, like, market stuff. You know, a guy who finds a, a pearl. You've got an appraiser in the marketplace. Uh, you know, a, a random guy in a field finds a treasure in a field and buys a field. Anyway, but... Uh, he, he talks about kings and stuff and, and aristocracy a little bit. Masters, people who own property, landowners. He he's runs the gambit, but there are a ton of a ton of illustrations that only make sense if you have the blue collar context for it. Farming and a lot of preaching is spent trying to bridge that gap to the audience that don't understand farming anymore because we just don't farm in general unless you are a farmer or your family's a farmer. So that's. Um, so that's it. So I started writing the book and everything kind of came together. I have it. It's a real book now. I didn't think I had enough to actually bring it to show, but I've got my test print. And, uh, of course I forget whose rule it is, but there's an axiom. There's a, an assumed to be true law of authorship. The moment an author opens his own book, his eyes immediately fall on a typo. And I, I didn't have to I, halfway through the page. I just flipped it open at random. I was like, yeah, we'll see. Halfway through the page, I thought, ah, that should really be an as there instead of an if. <sighs> Can't catch everything. Uh, even in, like, an 80-page book. So, it's, uh, it's a short book. It's a quick read. And it's about this issue that pastors are not speaking blue-collar language. They're not appreciating blue-collar culture. They don't go to blue-collar country, which is the calendar. Um, when was the last time you had a church service in the middle of the day on a Thursday? Like, never. Um, sometimes it'll be a prayer group or something. But for people, anybody who works third shift evenings or they work weekends, they essentially can't attend church services at all. How do they fellowship? Who are they going to invite their coworkers? Where are they going to invite their coworkers to? Um, you're like, hey, let's take a, a fake sick day so we can go to church on Sunday. Not happening. Um you know, are you, are you being intentional about that? Like I, I went to a church, uh, there was one lady in church. Her husband could never be at church on Sunday because he worked, uh, at the prison or at an odd shift. He was literally always at work on Sunday morning. Always. Most police officers work a 12 hour, three day on, two day off, like swing shift thing. Uh, and so they wind up getting, so that, that schedule winds up getting you every other weekend off so you can only go to church half as much as everybody else and maybe sometimes you can get to go to an evening uh bible study you know assuming you don't want to spend time with your family that night because that's also precious and doesn't happen as often as you want it to so it's just there's a lot going on man and uh it's it's getting missed and there were literally zero blue collar authors so what kind of discipleship programs are we having that there wasn't even like one or two construction workers who felt called to write books and the local church nurtured and educated them in that. Like all of these colleges, all the high, highfalutin, look up every Ivy League college, the history thereof, it's a ministry training school. And uh, it, it became what it is now today. But the, the church was the center of scholastic education. If you wanted to be a scholar, if you wanted to learn uh, higher level education and stuff, It you'd go to, to Christians. You'd go to the church. you go to um, you know, olden times. You'd go to a monastery, a uh, Catholic monastery back in the day. So it's, that's uh, our, our, why does, I'm not saying everybody needs to study deep theology in Greek and Hebrew, but it can't be that hard. It's, I'm not smart. Like, okay, I'm, I'm decently smart, but it's, I'm not magically talented. This stuff is largely simple. If you learned to read and write English, you can play around with Greek and Hebrew, and it's not so intimidating. And then once you know what you're looking at, you can find a Greek or Hebrew reference in five minutes on your phone. It's not hard. Um, Five minutes, you're looking at the pastor's Greek reference, and then you're finding out all the other verses where that same word shows up, and you're like, oh, that's really cool. It's like a little Easter egg whenever he mentions a Greek word, and he's like, this Greek word is used like this. And you're like what? And then you start looking up and you go, holy cow, it is. I've never thought about that. It is that word in that other verse I know about. There's three other verses that fit right into your sermon that you didn't mention, probably because you just don't have time to go into it right now, that really add a depth of meaning to the point you're trying to get to. You miss all of that if you don't know it's there. And it's very simple, very easy. All these like free resources online let you do it. Um... But you have to not be intimidated. You have to know it's there, and there's no clear discipleship path for any of these these higher— I I hate to say higher, because it's not more important. It's more elaborate, um, but it does form a a foundational—at a foundational level, it does form kind of an intellectual bulwark. It's a a structure or a wall that, that prevents heresy from encroaching in the church and secures doctrine by knowing the more fancy, nuanced things. Um, but I just, if you love God and you love his word, I'm surprised that there wouldn't be any way to help people learn more in that regard. There's only so many Bible studies you can sit in and go, lying is bad. We should not lie. Yes. So that's it. Yep. Okay. And now I get it. Nobody outgrows that lesson. Lying is bad. And the temptation to lie is real all the time, every day. Cool. How many Bible studies do you sit through where lying is bad before you get to, you know, something a little more meaty, uh, something a little more nuanced and detailed, a little more intellectual? Uh, Your brain is like a muscle, okay? Use it or lose it. A lot of blue collar guys, I have to dig through a code book to figure out what I'm doing at work. It's the same skills as finding a Bible verse. There's a number reference, I've got to find the number reference, and I have to read the text and figure out what the text says and how it applies to what I'm doing. That's exactly Bible study skills. Um, the, the nuance of the language matters, whether it's a shall or a may or a will. Um, you know, that's, that's all important. That all, all of it matters. So that's, uh, that was it. It's, blue Collar is getting ignored And it's not, I know it's not on purpose. I know it's not malicious. It's just accidental. Um, I mean, look at pastors. What do they do? They work in an office. Um, A majority of the larger churches are in heavily urban areas. The careers in heavily urban areas in affluent churches skew white collar. It's just natural. So their primary audience, their primary context, it's all white collar. But then they're the biggest and loudest voices. And... There's a silence. There's a silence towards blue collar. And it's funny because there's this like push like, oh, we need more men in the church. We need men to be more active. Blue collar is 89% male. No, 79. Sorry, it's 79%. It's almost 80%. There we go. 79, almost 80% men. Now, those uh, Department of Labor statistics include as a construction industry job the HR department of a construction firm or, uh, you know, I would assume maybe even architects, but like you've got within construction business, because it's, it's classified by business, what kind of business you're employed by. So it doesn't matter, you're not counted towards, you know, human office management when you work for a construction company. So you've got HR departments in there as well. Uh, as well as um, filing, accounting. Average construction site, there are not that many women. Um, more and more you're seeing painters and drywallers, about a third of them. Uh, a third or less will, will be women, but it's not, it's not as common. Uh, out, of, out of ten guys on a construction site, might be, might be one woman. And uh, in five years as, a const- as an electrician, I've seen one female electrician. Uh, so it's, it's not, it's not common. It's majority men. And so if you gear communication towards blue collar men, you're going to help bolster the, that male demographic. And I I point out some of the statistics I dug up. Pew Research did a really amazing in-depth study of American spirituality. Um, and, there's a, there's a there's a gender gap. I hate using that terminology because it's it's being used to tear down and destroy our culture. Uh but there's a there's a percentage gap assuming you you assume a 50-50 ideal. There's a, a f- anywhere between 5 and 10%, it's an average 7% uh less men than women across the board. So what you're looking at in general is there's a 7% less men than women that would self-identify as evangelicals, and then of those, there's 7% less, again, that in all the different areas they studied. Church attendance, weekly to, to monthly, um, weekly church attendance, men are way less, uh, men are average 7% less likely. Um, and I go through and break it down, every single one is and sometimes as high as 12 or 13% less men for praying every day, for attending a, a weekly Bible study class, for thinking that the Bible is true and accurate uh, rule of faith, for thinking that God exists. I don't know how they self-identify as an evangelical, and they're like, I'm not sure if God's there, but that's it. Or that the Bible is a true and accurate inspired word of God, or a good rule for life. Or whether or not your rule for life comes from philosophy more than the Bible. like it's, It was insane across the board, men or less. And so you have this untapped market of men in uh, 13% of working adults, using the Department of Labor Statistics. Uh, so you wind up the, the number at 79% of 13% of all men, or 13% of all working adults, uh, you wind up with about 15 million men that are basically being tacitly ignored by modern, like the mainstream evangelical media, Um, you know, by pastors, by books, by radio sermons. You just don't hear a lot of intentional connection uh, to, to a blue collar type. And I'm not, I'm not saying elaborate. I'm saying mention the word truck in your illustration. When you list careers of, you know, things that, you know, wait, God can use you. You know, maybe you're called to be an architect or an artist or an accountant or a lawyer. And so, and then you just go on with your thing and you're like, okay, fine. But no truck drivers, no plumbers, no electricians. Um, you can't have a society without those. You can't. Uh, you can have a society without 8 fact. Nobody needs them. <laughs> um, there's always some good-natured ribbing between trades. Uh, But Heating, uh, Ventilation, and Air Conditioning, called HVAC, for short, HVAC. For those of you who don't already know that, um, because I I didn't know that until I started working as an electrician. I heard people say it, and I was like, I'm an adult now. I assume that I'm supposed to know what that means. Oh, yeah. Um, But, yeah, Heating, Ventilation, and Air Conditioning. So, uh, HVAC, that's what they're responsible for, right? And then, uh, so they're a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades because there's some different... Plumbing elements and electrical elements that go into all of that between the controls and the freon recycling and stuff, or the the condensation tubes that they run around through the building. Um, so they 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 like minor in everything and then throw up huge ductwork very quickly. It's pretty cool. It's a cool trade. But, but uh, yeah, man, you you can't run a society without heating and air conditioning and electricity and indoor toilets. And uh, and now the internet, right? So you got data technicians on top of that, in addition to knock workers and uh, the remote hands and eyes for the people that make sure the servers unbreak once they break inside the data center, or the guys that literally monitor the HVAC and the electrical and the plumbing for the data center to make sure all of the cooling towers function properly and the air conditioner doesn't just die and ruin everything. Um, yeah, man, it's it's crazy though. So, yeah, that's it, though. I wrote a book because that's that's where my heart's at. It's important to reach out to Blue Collar. And it's not like a victim group thing. I mean, these guys bend and cut steel for a living. Um, you know, I'm, I like to joke that I bend lightning <laughs> with, uh, with wires. And uh, it's that's literally what you're doing, though, is you harness lightning to run a vacuum cleaner. And I'm, I'm the guy that gets it from the, the service uh, in the building to the outlet, to the vacuum cleaner, to plug in, to clean up stuff. Um, an inside wire man or inside lineman. So it's it's important. It's critical for society and it's getting ignored and it's very important. The other thing is it's important to reach millennials, right? Um, more and more of these office jobs are getting deleted or replaced. They're starting to figure out how to replace accountants with AI. You can't make a robot that does what I do. Even with all the prefab parts in the world, there still needs to be there's an artistry of how you put it together. I want this light switch over there. I want the pretty faceplate. That broke. You know, this, tons of times we're working on stuff that will be 30 or 50 years old. You can't build a robot that will troubleshoot in real time 30 or 50 year old equipment interfacing with your brand new, you know, prefab, electrical, whatever you've got going on. Um, you, you can't do that. You have to, in real time, solve problems that are created by your three-dimensional reality and computers have a hard enough time just recognizing a bird. Uh, look it up. There's entire people have spent their entire lives trying to build algorithms. So a camera can recognize a bird. They can do it now, but you know, computers were first invented by Alan Turing, like uh, hundred, 200 years ago. Uh, it's taken a long time to figure out how to recognize a bird. I don't, I don't trust them to wire up receptacles. I'm sorry. Uh, so you can't replace what we do with a, um, with robots, and it's a very fast track to entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. You get competent at your trade. Uh, you learn the wheeling and dealing at higher levels, and then you, you kind of strike out on your own. Okay, paused, because the, the call came in. I, what what good is do not disturb? Anyway, so yeah, the... Um, I don't know what good do not disturb is. Um... I totally lost my train of thought because things. Anyway, things are happening and things are awesome. And uh, blue collar is very important and it gets ignored a lot and it shouldn't because millennials are getting. Um, what is happening? The whole world's falling apart. Uh, millennials are. Going to be disproportionately blue collar here in a little bit. The more that millennials and Zoomers start seeing how easy it is to learn real skills, you jump right into the workforce. You jump right into a fifteen dollar an hour job. You start sweeping floors and handing people tools. And if you play your cards right, and depending on the state you're in, depending on the state you're in, inside of five years, you can have a master's uh, license. Sorry, a master's license, and be uh, able to start. Pulling your own permits to run your own work—that's a five-year track to working on owning your own business. It'll be just you and a truck with whatever tools you own for a little while. Uh, but I mean, if you already have or business savvy, it's it's a short it's a short run to a handful of trucks and a shop, and uh, that's a five-year path as opposed to four years in college and now I have crippling debt. And now I have to hope I can get up to a 24 hour, 20 hour job, 20 an hour job. That's the other thing. You take your five years, your master's license, and you can command 40 or $50 an hour, depending on whatever giant, large corporation you have, or maybe you, you nuanced, fast tracked into like fire alarm or, uh, control wiring or all kinds of stuff. You got all kinds of options. The world's your oyster, man. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So as they start getting laid off of these white-collar jobs, or they start realizing that these uh, middle-management white-collar jobs aren't paying what they need to get rid of their student loan debt, uh, more and more are gonna, of these, uh, especially Generation Z coming up, are going to start looking at... I, I, more and more of them are starting to avoid college debt because it's just not financially viable anymore. Um, the market's saturated with white-collar workers. A Blue-collar is not. And uh, if you're a go-getter and management material... Uh, you have a a fast track in less than, you know, you have a fast track within five years to be someplace, uh, very assertively, uh, which you do not have from college. You just don't. Um, and then along the way, yeah, you can pick up night courses, take some online courses, kind of expand your, your learning from there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's going to happen. So if you especially want a younger generation, if you want more men in your church, Blue collar is the way to do it. It's a missed opportunity, and it's not hard to, to bridge that connection. So, yeah, that's all I've got. It's uh, awesome things. The book is called The Blue Collar Blind Spot, and uh, it'll be out soon. I've got to fix a couple typos and rework the summary on the back, and then we'll uh, we'll put it out to final print and I'll like, make a big announcement and stuff or do a release. I don't I don't know how the internet works, and I'm not cool enough and have a big enough following to do like pre-orders and pre-release and you know, I don't, I'm not messing with that. We'll release it for sale. And then I'm going to start like bumming around on other small podcasts and uh, seeing what happens. So yeah, God be praised. I got it done. It looks amazing. Um, I forget the name of the artist that did the cover, but it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Did I put cover by on the inside of the, Oh, I got to make sure I added that. See, this is why we do these things. This is why the test prints important. It matters. All right. That's all I've got for you. Godspeed. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow.